Hello, this is Chris, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the May 9th through 11th issues of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Let's start with some news. Too hurt in Oakfield crash. Brian Quinn, Oakfield. State police say two people were taken to the hospital with serious injuries after a motorcycle accident near the intersection of Lewiston and Maltby Roads. A man driving the motorcycle was taken by ambulance to Erie County Medical Center in Buffalo. A woman passenger was transported by Mercy Flight to a hospital. State police did not say where the woman was taken. The names of the driver and passenger were unavailable Monday afternoon. At the scene on Saturday, Sergeant Matthew Witkowski said the driver lost control of the motorcycle on Lewiston Road and struck a retaining wall in front of a residence. There was a male driver and a female passenger. They hit the side of the road and got ejected from the motorcycle, he said. They had been headed northwest on Lewiston Road and traveling in a pack of motorcycles, Witkowski said. The accident was called in around 3.13 p.m. Oakfield firefighters also responded to the scene. Medicare shift lifts hospitals. Julie Abbas and Ben Beagle, Batavia. A new federal rule in the works will give many Glow Region hospitals a major financial boost in the reimbursements they receive from Medicare for wage payments. Hospitals in Genesee, Livingston, and Wyoming counties could see a nearly $15 million increase in Medicare wage index payment. During a Friday morning news conference held via Zoom, Senate Majority Leader Charles E. Schumer, Democrat of New York, spoke enthusiastically about success in getting a rule change he had been working on for years moved forward by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS. This is some of the greatest news for upstate New York hospitals, said Schumer. We have been able to readjust the so-called Medicare formula. The federal program uses the Medicare Wage Index, how much it costs to hire somebody, for each metro area to calculate what percentage of the national average healthcare labor costs a hospital will get back from CMS of the amount of money paid to personnel treating Medicare patients. But the formula used to determine the index did not, according to Schumer, give an accurate picture of those hiring costs for upstate medical facilities. For years, upstate New York got unfairly low Medicare payments, he said. Some areas of the country got more, others less. Using the Albany area as an example, Schumer said hospitals there have been receiving 86% of the national average every year since the 1980s, which is not reflective of the true wages and labor market in Albany. Using the new formula, wage reimbursements for Albany area hospitals will instead be based on 122% of the national average beginning in fiscal year 2024. The change would bring an additional reimbursement of more than $192.8 million to the capital region. Statewide, Schumer said the change is expected to increase reimbursements by about $967 million annually for upstate hospitals, including more than $242.5 million for a dozen hospitals in the Rochester Finger Lakes region, the highest of the seven upstate regions. The GLOW region is estimated to see an increase of $14,825,244. Three hospitals in the GLOW region are among those that will benefit. United Memorial Medical Center in Batavia, $8,506,705. Nicholas H. Noyes Memorial Hospital in Dansville, $4,244,688 and Wyoming County Community Health System, $2,073,851. The amount of money going to our hospitals is so large that just about every aspect of health care will improve for upstate New Yorkers, Schumer said, and the ability to get top-notch medical personnel, advice, machinery is going to be greatly enhanced. 
He said Medicare released the tentative formula last month, and although there may be some small changes, the odds are overwhelmingly positive that it will be adopted in August after the review process is complete. Rochester Regional Health, in a statement, thanked Schumer for his partnership and steadfast advocacy on behalf of our region's health care systems. RRH has five hospitals, including UMMC in Batavia, that will receive $118,120,840, or 48.7% of the region's estimated increase. We are optimistic that this proposed rule change would be an important first step on the federal level to address the years of Medicare underfunding we've received, the RRH statement said. Currently, RRH received around 84 cents of every dollar we spend on Medicare patients. Moving forward, we will keep working with our federal, state, and local partners in the fight for fair funding levels so we can continue to provide the high-quality health care this community needs and deserves. Because the recent change in an internal rule for CMS, no congressional action is needed. The formula change does not affect all hospitals in the area or state, just those that have been under-reimbursed because of the index calculations. Sales tax revenues keep rising. Matt Sertel, Geneseo. Livingston County ranked second statewide in sales tax revenue growth over the first quarter of 2023, according to a state report. The county reported an 11.2% increase in sales tax revenues from January to March, the state comptroller Thomas DiNapolis said in the report issued Thursday. Only Schuyler County saw more growth at 11.7%. Livingston County collected $10.75 million in the first quarter of 2023, compared to $9.67 million in the first quarter of 2022, according to the data. The report cited a mix of rising prices and increased consumer spending. Inflation remains one of the factors keeping sales tax growth robust, the report reads. Despite its recent moderation, the consumer price index still grew an average of 5.8% nationally in January to March quarter over the same period the year before, boosting the cost of tax purchases. Beyond Livingston County, the data includes Orleans County saw the second biggest percentage increase in sales tax revenues in the Glow region. The county reported a 7.4 percent increase for the first quarter of 2023. Sales tax revenues were $5.69 million. Genesee County experienced a 4.8 percent sales tax revenue increase during the first quarter. Sales tax revenues were $12.95 million. Wyoming County experienced the lowest sales tax revenue growth in the Glow region. The county's sales tax revenues increased 4.5% in the first quarter. They amounted to $5.72 million. Schuyler County ranked first statewide with 11.7% growth in sales tax revenues, but the numbers remained fairly small. The county received $3.19 million in sales tax revenues. Dutchess County experienced a 7.4% decrease in sales tax revenues. That marked the worst performance percentage-wise statewide, although its overall revenues dwarfed many other counties. The county received $60.39 million in sales tax revenues. New York State as a whole experienced a 7.1% increase in sales tax revenues. The state received $5.53 billion in sales tax revenues, compared to $5.17 billion in the first quarter of 2022. Avon Schools Add to Mascot Panel The Avon Central School District's Board of Education recently identified two facilitators to lead a stakeholder panel tasked with meeting the New York State Education Department's recent directive to all school districts to address the use of indigenous names and imagery. 
the New York State Board of Regents voted unanimously April 18th to ban the use of mascots, team nicknames, and logos that display Native American imagery or likeness for all New York public schools. School districts will have until the end of the 2024-25 school year to finalize necessary changes, which will go into effect on May 3rd of this year. Districts that fail to comply with the ban will face a potential loss of state funding. In Avon, Dr. Charles Colt and Timothy Hayes were identified to lead the effort that will culminate with recommendations to the Board of Education. Both facilitators are past and current educators and lifelong residents of Avon. Their prior roles, experiences, and community connections will help them lead this important community process, said Rodney George, president of the Avon Board of Education and Area 2 director of the New York State School Boards Association. Colt is vice president of the Avon Central Board of Education and the regional representative on the New York State School Boards Association's Resolutions Committee. He has been on the Avon Board of Education since 2010 and is chairman of the Internal Audit Committee. Colt has been employed at Monroe BOCES for more than 24 years and is currently director of safety and security, a position he has had for more than nine years. Colt completed a doctorate of education in 2008 at St. John Fisher College. Hayes is the retired superintendent of Geneseo Central School. Since his 2019 retirement after 13 years as superintendent, Hayes has served as interim executive director of the Cornell Cooperative Extension of Livingston County, interim superintendent at Attica Central School, and interim principal at Alexander Elementary School. Hayes' 37-year career in public education includes stints as a science teacher, coach, and administrator for the Letchworth, Avon, and Geneseo School Districts. Hayes holds a Certificate of Advanced Study in Educational Administration, a Master's in Science Education, and a Bachelor's in biology, all from SUNY Brockport. Additional information regarding the stakeholder planning process will be shared in future district communications and on the district's website, avoncsd.org. One dead in Barry Crash. Scott DeSmit, a Ridgeway man, was killed and his twin brother seriously injured in a bizarre crash on Route 31A late Monday night where both men tumbled out of the vehicle, Orlean Sheriff Christopher Burke said. Timothy R. Sands, 56, was pronounced dead at the scene of the crash, which happened just before midnight along a stretch of 31A Westley Road, just west of Eagle Harbor Road. The driver, Todd D. Sands, 56, suffered serious injuries, including head injuries, and was taken to Strong Memorial Hospital. Burke said Sands was able to speak after he was taken to the hospital, but investigators have yet to interview him about the crash. Burke said that somehow both men were ejected from the 2019 Honda Odyssey minivan as it was traveling down the road. It appears that both tumbled out of the van and just rolled about 100 feet, Burke said. One was found off the south side of the road, deceased, and the other was off the north side in a ditch. He was alive when deputies arrived. The van, however, kept traveling before going off the road and about 150 yards into a field before it turned and slammed into a tree in a hedgerow. When it hit the tree, the horn started going off, Burke said. It was near a house and the people heard it. When they went out there, the horn was going and no one was around the van. They didn't know the men had fallen out. The van never rolled, but did skid sideways at some point before going off the road. Burke said investigators hope to learn more when they are able to talk to Todd Sands. We're trying to figure out why they fell out of the van, he said. Both doors were closed when we arrived. He said alcohol may have been a factor. A concrete sign of progress, Matt Sertel, Batavia. 
The new Lion Street Bridge is a step closer to completion as crews poured concrete Tuesday morning. Crews worked throughout the morning on the span over Tonawanda Creek, setting down a portion of the surface vehicles will eventually cross. The bridge will restore a long-awaited link between Main Street and South Main Street in the city. Work on the $3.2 million project began this past September. It was proceeding ahead of schedule as of March with potential completion by the end of June. The new span will include two 11-foot lanes with two-foot shoulders and a five-foot sidewalk on the east side of the truss. It replaces an older bridge which had deteriorated beyond repair. An inspection in August 2021 had determined the older bridge, a modernized version of a World War II-era Bailey Bridge, could no longer meet the three-ton minimum required for vehicles to cross safely. Bailey Bridges were prefabricated portable spans used to cross rivers and similar obstacles quickly. The old Lion Street span was originally intended as a temporary measure but wound up in use for about 40 years. The August 2021 inspection had found that one of the load-bearing stringers beneath the bridge was damaged. The span was closed to traffic immediately and never reopened. A portion of South Main Street has been closed in the work zone since work restarted following a winter pause. South Lion Street's alignment will be changed slightly as a result of the work. Dairies may see fair life benefits. Webster. An announced production plant in Monroe County may provide a boost for dairy farmers in the Glow region. Governor Kathy Hochul announced today that Coca-Cola has selected a site off Tabor Road in the town of Webster for a 745,000-square-foot Fairlife facility. The $650 million investment will create an estimated 250 jobs. Fairlife products use an ultra-filtered milk process to remove the lactose and much of the sugar in milk. The resulting products keep more of their protein and calcium. Kim Zubber, a dairy farmer with Upstate Niagara Cooperative, said he was pleased that Coca-Cola selected Monroe County as a Fairlife facility location. I think it's good for the county, and I think it's good for the dairy farmers too, Zubber said as he drove a tractor Tuesday. Zubber said there will be an impact for dairy farmers in Genesee County as well. Our main milking facility is in Byron, he said. The office for the farm is in Monroe County. This is just an additional market for our milk. Upstate processes a lot of milk, he said. I think Upstate Niagara already have some working relationships with Coca-Cola, so this is just an extension. This is a big extension. Zubber, whose brother Eric is on the Upstate Niagara Board of Directors, said Upstate gets milk from dairy farmers all over western New York, including Genesee, Erie, Orleans, Niagara, and Ontario counties. Besides filtered milk, the products include protein and meal replacement shakes. This decision by Fairlife to expand their operations in Monroe County marks the next chapter in New York's agricultural success story, Hochul said in a statement. New York's dairy industry serves as a crucial economic engine for our state, and this $650 million investment from Fairlife will create jobs and drive economic impact particularly in the Finger Lakes. We were in tough competition with other states for what will be the largest dairy processing plant in the Northeast, and this decision, which comes on the heels of investments from major companies like Micron and Lycycle, confirms that New York continues to offer a competitive business environment, she continued. Coming from a family of dairy farmers in Ireland, I am proud to have secured this major opportunity to position our state as one of the nation's top dairy producers. Fairlife was founded in 2012 and acquired by the Coca-Cola Company in 2012. 20. The latter expects to break ground on the project sometime this autumn, with the facility becoming operational in late 2025. Fairlife's 
announcement that it will build a new processing plant in New York State is significant news for the state's dairy farmers and our upstate economy, said President David Fisher of the New York Farm Bureau, who is himself a dairy farmer. It will expand the marketplace for New York-produced milk, which is needed for the long-term success of our farms. In addition, the construction and processing jobs that will be created highlight how agriculture contributes to the greater state economy. New York Farm Bureau thanks Governor Kathy Hochul for her commitment to make this day a reality, and we welcome Fair Life to New York as a partner and supporter of the state's number one agricultural commodity. No injuries reported in fire. Brian Quinn, Batavia. Michael Henry wasn't home when a small fire started at the residence next to his, but his wife Linda was. Linda and her son, Zahn Richardson, got out of their house unhurt. They live at 41 Manhattan Avenue, and the fire was in the residence next door at 39 Manhattan. Both units are in the same building. Linda said she didn't realize a fire had started. Then she heard someone pounding on the door of the other residence. There was a guy coming by. He saw the smoke and began pounding on my neighbor's door because that's where the smoke was coming out, on the other side, she said. Linda said she went outside to see what was going on and saw the man. He told me the house was on fire and I needed to get out, she said. I woke up my son. He was sleeping on the couch. I've never seen him move so fast. The two of them were not hurt, Linda said. We just came out the front door and they told us to come back over to the sidewalk away from the house, so that's what we did, she remembered. City Fire Chief Joshua Graham said the department got the call at 9.46 a.m. of a possible structure fire at that address. Firefighters were told soon after that it was a structure fire with flames showing. The occupants of 39 Manhattan were believed to still be inside the residence, he said. We were actually giving a tour at the fire station at the time, he said. They were out and ready to go and got here within a couple of minutes. It speaks volumes to our ability to go in there and knock these fires out before they get out of hand. Initial fire units arrived in four minutes to find smoke coming from the rear of the two-and-a-half-story two-family home. Fire crews entered the home to perform searches for any occupants and extinguish the fire in one of the upstairs bedrooms, Graham said. The fire caused damage to the room of origin, smoke damage throughout the occupancy, and some water damage to the first and second floor. No one was home at the occupancy involving the fire. Right now, they're doing salvage and overhaul, he said at the scene Tuesday. At around 10.25 a.m., the investigation of the first was getting underway. The neighbor on the other side of the residence was home, but they were able to get out before we arrived, Graham said. Police were on the scene as well. Graham said he hadn't spoken to police about why they were there. I think they were just out and heard the call, he said. There was very little flame showing when firefighters got to the scene. It was mostly smoke, the fire chief said. Graham said at the scene that he hadn't been in the house, wasn't sure whether the residents would be able to keep living there. It was a small fire contained to the front bedroom on the second floor, he said. Interior firefighters knocked down the fire. The cause of the fire is currently under investigation by city firefighters and police investigators. City firefighters were assisted by the city police and city codes department and the Genesee County Emergency Dispatch Center. The town of Batavia Fire Department was on standby to cover any additional calls for service for the city. You are listening to a recording of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Supervisors approve voting change. Matt Sertel, Warsaw. The Wyoming County Board of Supervisors has formally approved a revision of its weighted voting system. The supervisors on Tuesday adopted a local law making the change. Under the new system, there will be a total of 201 votes. The town of Warsaw will carry the most weight with 27 votes, followed by Perry with 26 votes. The remaining towns will include Arcade, 22 votes, Attica, 20 votes, Bennington, 17 votes, Castile, 15 votes, Sheldon, 13 votes, 
Gainesville and Java, 11 votes each, Covington, Middlebury, and Orangeville with seven votes each, Eagle and Pike with six votes each, Weathersfield with four votes, and Genesee Falls with two votes. Although the numbers have changed, the overall proportions remain the same in terms of representation. Wyoming County has always used an impartial third party to determine the Board of Supervisors' appointments in order to avoid any potential appearance of impropriety. The totals were typically revised about every 10 years. The Board of Supervisors has previously incorporated a total of 1,599 votes for a general resolution. In other action, Supervisors approved a contract with Erdman Anthony of Rochester on behalf of the county's highway department. The company will provide engineering services for the rehabilitation of Owaka Road from West Lake Road to Route 246. The contract is not to exceed $85,000 and is contingent on the availability of funds. The contract is effective through December 31, 2014. Wendy Simpson of Eagle and Louise Boucher of Java were each appointed to three-year terms on the Office for the Aging Advisory Council. Sheriff David Linder was also appointed to the council as an agency representative. All terms are effective through December 31, 2025. BCSD Pitching $58.9 Million Budget Brian Quinn, Batavia the Batavia City School District will put $58.9 million budget proposal with a 1.02% tax levy increase before voters on May 16th. The budget of $58,970,774 is a spending increase of about 7.6%, or $4,168,181 over this year's budget. The tax levy is almost $20 million at $19,888,991. It's $200,093 or 1.02% higher than this year's levy. We want to make sure our budget reflects our community needs, reflects what our community is willing and able to support, and of course enhances or preserves academics, athletics, extracurriculars. All those pieces are important in the balance here, Superintendent Jason Smith said during Monday evening's budget hearing. For the proposed 2023-24 budget, the average school tax rate would go down $0.34 per thousand dollars of assessed property value. As assessments go up, the tax rate goes down, Smith said. Of the $58.9 million budget proposal, about 58.3% would be spent on instructional support and 21.2% on employee benefits, Smith said. The superintendent said instructional support includes teachers' salaries, textbooks, the football team, the marching band. That's where you want to see the dollars being spent as a taxpayer and as a school board member, he said. For every dollar we receive, just under 60 cents is allocated toward instruction. The district's graduation rate dropped from 2021 to 2022 from about 95% to 87%, but is at or above the state average, Smith said. Academically, in 2021-22, Batavia was second in the percentage of students getting a score of 3 or 4 in English Language Arts, ELA, in grades 3 to 8 among schools in small cities. Batavia's result last year was 39%. In math, Batavia was first in 2021-22 among the same grade levels. State and federal aid makes up 56.3%, or $33,174,343 of revenue in the proposed budget. The tax levy makes up 33.7%. The district offers a number of programs and services that are not state-mandated, from full-day universal pre-K to two school resource officers. I want you to think for a second. A school like ours, without a band, without a musical, without a football team, without kindergarten, without school resource officers, without security aides, without social workers, without laptops, he said during the budget 
presentation, we have a girls' flag football team. They're undefeated last time I checked. We have all these programs in place for our students that are not mandated, that are fully supported by a quality budget here. Over the last four years, the tax levy went up twice and decreased once by $7,362 in the 2020-21 budget. The budget includes a $100,000 capital project to renovate and repair the stage at Batavia Middle School. The district would get 92.7% building aid from the state for this project. For every dollar we spend, we get 92 cents back from the state, Smith said. I don't want to call it free money, but it's money we can receive back from the state if we follow all the steps. The stage still used for concerts. It's used on a regular basis. District highlights include the reopened Robert Morris School for preschool and universal pre-K, the community eligibility program, through which all students may receive lunch at no charge, was extended through 2025-26. The district's pursuing new grant funding for mental health, community schools, preschool, and 21st century schools. Other propositions on the ballot for next week are having a student ex officio, non-voting representative, on the Board of Education, and creation of a capital reserve of up to $10 million to offset the local cost of any furniture projects. Running for the board unopposed are incumbents Alice Ann Benedict and Barbara Bowman. Voting will be from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. May 16th. Residents living north of Main Street will vote in the multipurpose room at Robert Morris, 80 Union Street. Enter on Union Street at the entrance across from Notre Dame High School. Residents living south of Main Street will vote in the library at Batavia High School, 260 State Street. Three Batavia priests announce retirement plans. Brian Quinn, Batavia. All three priests in the city's Roman Catholic parishes have announced plans to retire pending approval from Bishop Michael Fisher. Resurrection Parish Pastor Father Ivan Trujillo advised this past Sunday in the parish bulletin that he and vicar Father Robert Waters have asked Fisher for permission to retire. I have been thinking about retirement for a couple of years, Trujillo told the Daily News. Priests are allowed to ask for retirement at age 70, and I am 71 now. I have been dealing with health issues for nearly two years and find now is the best time for me to ask permission from the bishop. Trujillo has been a longtime presence in the Batavia community, having arrived at the former St. Mary's Church in 1987. When St. Mary's and St. Joseph's merged into Resurrection Parish, I was appointed pastor and have been there for 14 years, he said. Trujillo noted the Road to Renewal program being put into place in the Diocese of Buffalo. The Catholic faithful, priests, deacons, religious, parish administrators, and school leaders of the Diocese of Buffalo have embarked on a journey to reinvigorate Catholic faith, more fully optimize parish and diocesan resources, and increase the impact of our varied ministries throughout Western New York, according to the Road to Renewal website. Every parish is required to participate, Trujillo said. A new pastor will be appointed in the near future to lead our family, which includes Resurrection and Ascension Parishes in Batavia, St. Bridget and Burgeon, Our Lady of Mercy in Leroy, and Padre Pio in Oakfield Elba, he said. To do our part in facilitating this program, Father Bob and I have asked the bishop for permission to retire. We both have truly enjoyed our time at Resurrection and have also asked the bishop if we could continue an active ministry and help the new pastor with masses within our new parish family. With the new Diocese of Buffalo's renewal program, all present pastors are expected to step down for the newly appointed pastor for parish families to be put in place, he said. Trujillo said he has a home and a small farm in the country where he plans to live. I have several barn cats to feed and care for in my spare time, he said. I hope in the future I will be able to visit some of my projects in my native Bolivia. I also will continue to visit the migrant farm camps in Genesee, Orleans, and Niagara counties, as I have been doing as a volunteer for over 25 years, as my health allows. Trujillo said Tuesday that he 
had not received a response from Fisher regarding his retirement request. I expect to hear soon, Trujillo said. The diocese has announced they hope to have all the new family pastors in place sometime during the month of June. Reverend David Glassmeyer of the Ascension Parish also plans to retire. In a message over the weekend to members of Ascension Roman Catholic Community, Glassmeyer said after much prayer and consideration, he plans to step down as pastor and from active priestly ministry effective June 5th in order to make way for the new pastor of the family of parishes. I do not make this decision lightly, but feel it is in my best interest as well as the best interest of the parish and diocese that I move on at this time and make room for change, he said. I have served well and faithfully as your spiritual leader and guide over the last 12 years. It has been an honor and privilege getting to know you and your families. A priest is ordained to serve the people of God, to dispense the heavenly mysteries, and to journey along with you on our way to the kingdom. Together we have celebrated the Eucharist and sacraments, engaging all of our senses and coming into God's presence with great joy, he continued. Over the years, there have been tears of joy and sadness, along with growing together in faith, hope, and love. Diocese of Buffalo Communications Director Joseph Martone said Tuesday that Fisher has the final say on personnel. Martone said the retirement of the three priests is not official. It's still unofficial because they need to have their situation ruled on by the bishop, he said. Martone said Glassmeyer and Fisher were scheduled to meet shortly. Their requests are currently with the bishop, but the bishop hasn't had a chance to address that yet, Martone said of Trujillo and Waters. Corrections exam set to change. Batavia. Those seeking to become corrections officers are being advised of a new pilot program, according to the Genesee County Sheriff's Office. The program is being tested by the New York State Department of Civil Service. It includes online examination questionnaire that asks questions about an applicant's education, training, and work experience instead of the usual multiple-choice written exam. The new exam will be used to establish a list of candidates to fill future corrections officer vacancies once the current eligibility list is either exhausted or expires in 2024. Those interested are advised to submit an examination application to Genesee County Human Resources on or before 5 p.m. Friday. Approved applicants will be sent a notice containing directions to a website address to complete the training and experience questionnaire. The questionnaire must be completed between June 1st and June 30th. The answers will be used to rate and score the applicant's test against the general requirements of the position, which will be based on training and experience gained. Minimum qualifications of corrections officers include graduation from high school or possession of an equivalency diploma. Applicants may file for the exam if they expect to complete the educational requirement by June 30th. Proof of educational requirement must be submitted no later than two months after completion. Candidate must be at least 18 years of age at time of appointment. Currently, there are four full-time correction officer vacancies that we are looking to fill and six additional postings being added, three effective July 1, 2023, and three effective October 1, 2023, said Chair William A. Sharon in a news release. Now is the time to begin a rewarding career in law enforcement. In order to be considered for the positions, applicants must take the civil service exam. Even if you took the previous civil service exam, you will want to apply to take the new exam. Obituaries. Tuesday, May 9th. Phyllis James, 78, of Hoshton, Georgia, formerly of Warsaw. Mildred Millie Reese Gavenda, 96, of Albion. Jeffrey Walter Baylor, 67, of Leroy. W. Paul Fuller, 84, of Medina. Eleanor Marie Thaler Marinaccio, 97, of Leroy. Wednesday, May 10th, Roy M. Cipolla, 79, of Perry, Jean Catherine Cross Kent, Thursday, May 11th, Adrienne Overfield, of Webster, 
Mary Ayani Giambroni, 92, of Oakfield. Ronald G. Eddy, 85, of Bliss. Marion L. Woodward, 82, of Bliss. Now some upcoming events. VFW Auxiliary Planned Sausage Dinner, Batavia. Veterans of Foreign Wars Post-1602 Auxiliary will host an Italian sausage dinner on Saturday. The dinner will take place 4 p.m. to sold out at the Post on 24 Edward Street for a $14 donation. Pre-sale tickets are recommended. They are available at the Post or by calling 585-344-3249 after 4.30 p.m. Wednesday and Friday. County to host Cans for Careers, Batavia. Genesee County is hosting a Cans for Careers drive to support hands-on career exploration at youth-related workforce development programs. Residents may drop off bottles and cans at three Batavia locations between 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. May 17th. Bottles and cans can be dropped off at the following locations. Department of Social Services, 5130 East Main Street Road. Job Development Bureau, 587 East Main Street. County Building 1, St. Mary's Parking Lot, 18 Ellicott Street. The annual Glow With Your Hands and other career exploration events attract thousands of students throughout the Glow region and within Genesee County, and fundraising is an important component in conducting these events, which are very volunteer-intensive, said Genesee County Manager Matt Landers. The county will host the one-day drive in conjunction with AQS Redemption, Inc., a local New York State bottle and can redemption company. Residents can schedule free pickups or drop-offs of their redeemable bottles and cans at the company's location at 1 North Main Street in Elba. Area businesses can also host a bottle and can drive at their workplace. Residents and businesses can call 585-250-0870 or email aqsredemption at gmail.com to find out more information. We are once again fortunate that AQS is willing to commit its collection facility for a full day in order to support our efforts as we look to enhance our workforce events and programs with our youth, said Glow With Your Hands co-chair and Glow Workforce Development Board Executive Director Jay Lazzaroni. Our partners in Genesee County government also recognize the importance of workforce development and we appreciate their partnership in this endeavor. For more information on how to be a part of Cans for Careers, visit glowwithyourhands.com slash cans hyphen for hyphen careers. Brighton Securities to host Free Shred Day, Batavia. Brighton Securities will conduct its 12th annual Free Shred Day on May 26th. The activity will take place noon to 2 p.m. at 212 East Main Street. The public can dispose of old and unwanted documents such as old bank records, credit card statements, and other sensitive paperwork at no cost. A truck from Shred Text Inc. will be available to shred documents. Brighton Security staff will be present to assist. We are proud to offer this service for the 12th year and encourage our community to participate, said Branch Manager Steve Hicks in a news release. We will have staff on hand to help our event participants decide what to dispose of and shred, what to save, and how long certain records should be saved. Hawley sets office hours for May, Batavia. Assemblyman Steve Hawley has announced his mobile office hours for May. The office hours will be attended by Hawley's staff members, and they are ready to help any constituent with their needs. I want to encourage everyone to visit whenever they feel like it, Hawley, Republican of Batavia, said in a news release. My office is ready to take your calls and help address your needs. The schedule includes Akron, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. May 16th at Newstead Public Library, 33 Main Street. 
Batavia, 115 to 315 p.m., May 16th, in the Conable Technology Building, room T124 at Genesee Community College. Brockport, noon to 2 p.m., May 10th, at Seymour Library, 161 East Avenue. Hamlin, noon to 2 p.m., May 24th, at Hamlin Public Library on 1680 Lake Road. HLOM sets new presentation, Batavia. The Holland Land Office Museum's Java with Joe E. morning presentation by David Riley, originally scheduled for May 25th, has been canceled. The museum will offer a different program at 9 a.m. on May 25th instead. Director Ryan Duffy will present Genesee County Civil War Medal of Honor Soldiers. The program details the lives, service, and deeds of the four Civil War soldiers with a connection to Genesee County who were awarded the Medal of Honor. Admission is free and coffee and donuts will be provided. Contact the museum at 585-343-4727 or hollandlandoffice at gmail.com if you plan to attend. Rummage Sale to Aid African Village, Batavia Northgate Church will host a rummage sale to support its connected community in Gahanda, Rwanda. The sale will take place 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Friday and 8 a.m. to noon Saturday in the gym at the Northgate South Campus on 350 Bank Street Road. Northgate will be funding food and agricultural projects throughout the village, helping many of the families learn to grow and maintain sustenance for their loved ones. For more information, call 585-343-4011 or visit https colon slash slash fb dot me slash e slash one three p four d k g c c crime blotter batavia city police recently reported the following arrests Jessica Hernandez, 35, of Summit Street, was charged with being a fugitive from justice. She was wanted in Florida for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. David A. Kendall, 50, of Bank Street, was charged with criminal contempt of court. Nathan P. Crawford, 27, of Batavia, was charged with criminal trespassing. State police said he is to appear at a later date in town court. Michelle D. Grover, 38, of Holland, was charged with petty larceny for shoplifting, state police said. She is to appear at a later date in town court. Bethany N. Brady, 27, of Leroy, was charged with petty larceny for shoplifting, state police said. She is to appear at a later date in town court. Brian M. Buck, 37, of Wattsburg, Pennsylvania, was charged with criminal possession of a weapon after an investigation into domestic dispute, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Oakfield. Eric T. Kerner, 29, of Oakfield, was charged with DWI after he was stopped at 12.30 a.m. April 26th, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Genesee Falls. Chad W. Goodenow, 40, of Warsaw, was charged with third-degree assault and criminal mischief, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Blotter, Batavia. City police charged the following people. Two people were charged after an investigation into a possible intoxicated driver at a gas station on East Main Street, April 24th. Jordan E. Hamilton, 26, of Baker Road, Kent, was charged with tampering with physical evidence and criminal possession of a controlled substance. Police said he was a passenger in a car driven by Jacob W. Patterson, 27, of Killian Road, Pembroke. Patterson was charged with driving while impaired by drugs, criminal possession of a controlled substance, and obstruction of governmental administration for running from police. 
KCT Vaughn, 33, of Batavia, was charged with felony strangulation, harassment, criminal mischief, and aggravated family offense. He is accused of choking and hitting a woman and breaking a mirror. He was later charged with criminal mischief and criminal tampering for allegedly spitting on the wall, floor, bench, and desk in a police interview room and pulling molding off the wall. Cassandra F. Smith, 37, of Batavia, was charged on four warrants for failing to appear in court. Tanika N. Avant, 21, of Bank Street, was charged with two counts of harassment and endangering the welfare of a child. Police said she hit a person and a juvenile. James T. Hardaway, 39, of Brockport, was charged with DWI, speeding, and unlicensed operation. Misty R. Scutt, 34, of Attica, was charged with driving while impaired by drugs. Hunter M. Passage, 22, of Batavia, was charged with driving while impaired by drugs. Gerald P. Newell, 53, was charged with criminal contempt of court for contacting a victim from jail. Sheriff's deputy said he was arraigned and returned to jail. Jamie A. Antonez, 35, of Dewey Avenue, was charged with DWI after being stopped at 11.25 p.m. Friday on Clinton Street Road, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. Antonez also was charged with speeding and failure to keep right. Pavilion. Danielle F. Reed, 34, of Auburn, was charged with felony DWI after she was stopped for speeding at 1.50 a.m. Sunday on Route 20, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. Reed also was charged with felony aggravated DWI for having a blood alcohol content of more than 0.18%, failure to dim lights, and moving from a lane unsafely. Elba. Christopher J. Golshevsky, 33, of Holly, was charged with endangering the welfare of a child, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. He allegedly threatened to kill a woman in front of her children. Child blamed in bomb threat. Batavia. City police reported Tuesday night that a call reporting a bomb on a school bus at a location in the city was found to be false. On Tuesday, the Genesee County 911 Center took a call from a local business that had received a call from what was believed to be a juvenile stating there was a bomb on a school bus, a police report stated. Through the investigation of patrol officers and detectives, it was determined that an 8-year-old child on a bus made the call, knowing it to be false. Officers located the school bus in question, which had no students on it when they found it. Out of an abundance of caution, the bus was cleared by a New York State police canine that specializes in explosive detection and none were found. The case has been turned over to the juvenile justice detective for the department and no further information is available at this time. Blotter. Darian Jacob N. Adams, 18, of Indian Falls Road, was charged with DWI after an investigation into a hit-and-run crash on Harper Road, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. He also was charged with aggravated DWI for having a blood alcohol content of more than 0.18%, leaving the scene of a property damage accident, using a phone while driving, and failure to keep right. Batavia Tanya M. Ficarella, 36, of Lover's Lane, was charged with petty larceny for stealing items from a store on Veterans Memorial Drive, Genesee deputy said. She is to appear May 23rd in town court. Jamie L. Ayala, 43, of Walnut Street, was charged with criminal contempt of court for violating an order of protection, Genesee deputy said. She is to appear May 23rd in town court. Murray. Joel D. Hall, 62, of Burgeon, was charged with felony DWI after he was stopped at 8.30 p.m. Tuesday, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Ridgeway. Brittany M. Scott, 31, of Lockport, was charged with five counts of falsely reporting child abuse, state police said. She is to appear at a later date in town court. Arcade. Jordan C. Rayner, 29, in Batavia, was charged with criminal possession of a disguised gun, state police said. He also was charged with criminal trespassing and criminal possession of a controlled substance. 
Silver Springs. Christopher Bitsas, 41, of Warsaw, was charged with third-degree assault, state police said. He is to appear at a later date at town court. Ex-con gets longest prison term yet, Scott DeSmit, Batavia. A man who has already served four state prison terms received his longest term yet Friday in Genesee County Court. Arthur J. Brown, 46, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for dealing cocaine. Judge Melissa Lightcap Ciafrini also sentenced Brown to a concurrent seven-year term for gun possession and a 16-month to four-year term for violating sex offender registration rules. Brown, who was living in Leroy at the time, was arrested several times last year and continued to commit crimes even after an indictment was filed against him. Brown pleaded guilty in February to attempted criminal possession of a weapon, attempted criminal sale of a controlled substance, and failing to register a change of address as a sex offender, his second felony conviction for that charge. The plea satisfied all charges placed against him from September 2021 to January 31st. One arrest came after a massive search in Stafford in September. Brown was stopped for traffic violations and ran from police. A deputy said he saw Brown pull a gun from his waistband before losing him in a cornfield. Moments later, loud booms came from the field, leading the deputies to believe shots had been fired. They turned out to be a farm cannon used to scare predators. A search of the area resulted in Brown being found about a mile away as residents were ordered to remain in their homes. A gun was found near where Brown was last seen running from police. Brown was later charged with grand larceny after he was accused of stealing a credit card from the police station. In October 2022, Brown was also charged with failure to register as a sex offender for a third-degree rape conviction involving a 15-year-old girl in Onondaga County. Two months later, Brown was again charged with failure to report an address change. Brown, who is in Genesee County Jail, has served four state prison terms since 1998 for a total of 16 years. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Warsaw celebrates Arbor Day. Area residents and officials marked Arbor Day in a Friday afternoon ceremony. The rain was just slight when MC Jim Carter opened the event at 5 p.m. and did a superb job of telling the Green Warsaw story and introducing speakers, organizers said in a news release. They believe 100 to 150 people attended the event in the Village Park. SDEC forester Nate Morey praised the group for its expedient formation, along with applying for and receiving an Arbor Day Foundation grant totaling $860. Mayor Dan Burling also congratulated the tree board on quickly accomplishing the the Arbor Day planting event. The two trees planted and memorialized included a sugar maple for former Mayor Joseph Robinson and a red maple for deceased Warsaw Central School teacher Steve Baker. The trees were planted on either side of the ballpark area concession stand. Four area students recited their winning poetry submissions and were awarded certificates in potted blue spruces donated by Walcott Farms. Greg Torrey, representing State Senator George Borello, Republican of Sunset Bay, spoke briefly about the implications of new trees being added to the Warsaw Forest and presented a certificate of recognition to the Warsaw Tree Board. Jeffrey Souter, liaison for David J. DiPietro, Republican of East Aurora, read and presented a lengthy proclamation honoring new mayor Dan Burling. Baker's daughter, Kinsley Baker, gave an impressive and emotional story about her dad, his accomplishments, and his relationships within the village, immemorializing his name in the red maple tree planted today near his beloved soccer fields, organizers said. Cynthia Appleton spoke with pride of the 16 years served on the village board with Joe Robinson and gave the dedication 
dedication of the sugar maple tree in his honor. DPW Superintendent Shane Evans remarked on his pleasure to have a tree board helping with decisions for the village forest and told everyone they could apply for a tree in front of their property on the village-owned terrace. Carter also introduced Perry Tree Board member Dr. Zerby, who gave much assistance in helping Warsaw Tree Board become a reality. Warsaw Fire Department welcomes new officers. Brian Quinn, Warsaw. It's official now. The Warsaw Fire Department has its officers in place, including Deanna Wilcox, the first female fire chief in the department in Wyoming County. That's a great thing to have happen to us, Warsaw Mayor Dan Burling said. I served in the Marine Corps and in the Army and in the State Assembly with many, many fine women. I'm going to tell you something. They're up to the job. They can get the job done. Burling presented Wilcox with a certificate of appreciation from him and the Board of Trustees for her years of service and commitment and her election as chief. Wilcox was sworn in along with Josh Crane, first assistant chief, Tom Monnier, second assistant chief, Pat Wagner, Rescue Squad Captain, James Wagner, Lieutenant, Julie Plow, Secretary, Dave Grieg, Treasurer, and Ethan Farron, Sergeant-at-Arms. Fire Department Vice President Joe Cummins said he was proud of Wilcox for her accomplishments. Wilcox joined the Silver Springs Fire Department in 1996 at age 14. She went on to become a part-time 911 Wyoming County Dispatcher in 2003 before taking a full-time dispatcher position six years later. She joined the Warsaw Fire Department in 2013 and soon became the Rescue Squad Captain, serving in that position for seven years and eventually served two years as the First Assistant Chief. We've been together almost 18 years. One of the things I've noticed with her, I've always been impressed with her drive for the fire service, he said. It's never been about a title, no matter what department, no matter what title it was that she was doing. It was always the execution. It was always 100%, always driving to prove to herself that she could do it and always proving to everybody else that she could do it. For her to reach this level, it's pretty damn cool. Past trustee and deputy mayor Cindy Appleton, who was also fire department committee chair while on the board of trustees, said she's extremely proud of all that this department and rescue squad has accomplished during that time. This department and squad has moved forward in a dynamic way, helping to maintain its high standards by researching and utilizing the grant process when purchasing new equipment, offering recruitment opportunities, charting a new course with its EMS service, increasing its visibility in the schools, and beginning a new program of a part-time paid firefighter, one that is becoming a model for others to follow, she said. The fire department answered 233 calls in 2022. The top five responders were Ethan Farron, who responded to 65% of those calls, Matt Gould, who had 56% response, A.J. Galligan, 51%, Dan Smith, 36%, and Bruce James, 33%. The EMS service answered 851 calls in 2022, and Ethan Farron was part of 366 responses, or 43%, the most among EMS personnel last year. Patty Jarno was second with 255, or 30%, and her daughter, McKenna Jarno, was third with 238, 28%. The Firefighter of the Year Award went to Bill Wilkinson, who was not in attendance Saturday night. Wilcox said Wilkinson is always willing to lend a hand. He jumps in wherever needed. A lot of times he probably should step aside, let the young ones do the heavy lifting and stuff like that, but you just can't stop him, she said. He helps out at all our fundraisers, but he also assists the rescue squad on any fundraisers that they have. He's kind of like a bull, is what we refer to him. 
The Hotchkiss Award went to Bruce James, who was not present Saturday. Wilcox said his name was the one that kept coming up in the discussion of the Hotchkiss Award, dedicated to the memory of brothers Charles, Chuck, and Wilford Bill Hotchkiss, who combined to serve the department for one year short of a century. He has almost 50 years of dedicated service to our department, the fire chief said of James. He can be cranky at times. You just have to kind of sweet talk him to get him to do some things for you. He's constantly at the fire hall, tinkering, doing different things. He makes sure the equipment is up and running for the next call, Wilcox said. James is a vital asset to the department. Pat Wagner presented Wilcox with the G.W. Bush Award, Bushy Award, dedicated in memory of George Winfield Bush, who served with the department from 1928 to 1996 and was its first captain. She's a CPR instructor. She's managed the switch from paper PCRs, pre-hospital care reports, to electronic PCRs, and that's not an easy switch, she, she said. She's been liaison to the squad, the fire department, and the village to obtain all these things, Wagner said of Wilcox. The new chief also thanked Ken Smith, Dave Grieg, and Dan Smith for their response to a July 6th fire in Warsaw. A 79-year-old man died after being rescued from the home. We just want to recognize the members for their above and beyond response on the call, she said. It was a house fire right after the carnival, of course. It didn't have the best outcome. There were a few members that played key roles in it, and they did a fantastic job. We just want to recognize you guys. Crane presented Explorer Awards to junior firefighters Kylie Nolan and Derek Kisser. The first assistant chief talked about efforts to light a fire under the junior firefighter program. We did accumulate some new juniors this past year, and we do appreciate them joining and coming aboard, Crane said. This past Christmas, they did do something special in the community that not many know about. We kind of kept it under the radar intentionally and just wanted to give back to the community for something they brought up in a meeting. Around Christmas, the junior firefighters teamed up with community action. They took money out of their own fund and donated $600 worth of toys to families in need. It was brought up in one of our meetings, he said. Because the junior firefighters are always helping out by washing fire trucks, Crane asked Nolan and Kisser to come up to receive a car wash pack as a gift. Torch Run shows hope, support. Brendan McDonough, Avon. As law enforcement officers made their way through the village of Avon on Saturday morning, they passed a torch known as the Flame of Hope from officer to officer. Eventually, the run reached its destination at Avon Central School for the Special Olympics New York Regional Track and Field Competition. The torch run was one of the opening elements of the competition. For 31 years, law enforcement representatives have taken part in the run. It's a time-honored tradition. By running, the officers show support for the athletes and act as the guardians of the flame. The athletes love law enforcement, and law enforcement are the flame of hope and protector of our athletes. Carrying the torch is symbolic into track and field and is a symbol of inclusion and a symbol of the opening of the games. Law enforcement carries that flame of hope throughout New York State to support inclusion. To people with intellectual differences, there is no difference. Everyone has an ability, said Kelly Lagozio, Senior Development Director for Special Olympics in the Genesee region. More than 40 members of law enforcement took part in Saturday's run, which began at Topps Plaza, 270 East Main Street, traveled through the village, and ended at Avon Central School, 245 Clinton Street. It is just a great cause, and I am just proud to be part of it and happy to support the kids, said Ashley Wolf, a corrections officer at Attica Correctional Facility. At the school, more than 250 athletes took part in the competition, which is a qualifying event for the Summer State Games in Ithaca on June 9th and 10th. 
Trooper Gabby Bauer from Horseheads carried the torch for the start of the run, and along the way, it was passed from officer to officer, with each one having a chance to support the athletes and savor the moment of carrying the torch in support of them. We run through the village. It's about a 5K, roughly, and we finish at the high school for the opening ceremonies. I am happy to be here, and I am a father of a son with Down syndrome, and he will be competing here, said Kevin Arnone, who organized the torch run. The athletes in Avon came from area school districts and community training clubs. They train with their schools or training clubs for about six weeks before the event, said Jennifer Lang of Pavilion, an organizer of the event. Shana O'Donovan, a special education transitions teacher at Genesee Valley BOCES in Dansville, has been helping her athletes with training and said, for many, the games are about more than winning a medal. Everyone is really excited to compete and have fun. They just want to come out, compete, and do the best they can, said O'Donovan. Leroy residents Molly and Tom Dombra watched excitedly from the sidelines as they cheered the athletes on. I think it is just great to see their excitement and be out here together with the people celebrating them, said Molly. Win or lose team teammates, residents, parents, and supporters say that they could not be more proud of the athletes competing in the games. It's always a good cause to be a part of, said Cole Geiger of Attica Correctional Facility. Special Olympics New York is the largest state chapter in the country. It serves more than 42,000 athletes across New York with year-round sports training, athletic competition, and health screenings. The organization also partners with about 250 schools statewide to offer unified sports where students with and without disabilities compete as teammates. At the Avon Games, there was a host of sports for the athletes to compete in. For Lang, who has been helping to run the competition since she was 18 years old, it was a fun day. I love this event, and I've been running it since I was 18 years old. I helped out the original coordinator, and then I took over. This year, we have about 250 athletes from all over the region that are coming to participate in track and field. My favorite part is the second that I get to say, let the games begin because then I get to sit back and watch all of my hard work and everyone enjoy the day. Peddling Candy for Crossroads, Brian Quinn. The Kiwanis Kids Club, K-Kids, outdid itself this year. The club started five years ago selling 200 suckers or lollipops as a fundraiser. Things went better each year, and this year, the club sold over $1,500 worth of the candy. Every year since 2018, we've moved up. 300, 400, 1100, 1500, Kids Club advisor Amy Cummings said. Turning to the kids at Pembroke Intermediate School, she asked them how many they sold this year. The kids responded with her, 1700. The money raised from the $1 a piece sale of suckers goes for the not for profit Crossroads House Comfort Care Home in Batavia, a place terminally ill guests may stay in the last three months of their life. Crossroads House board member Joni Patry is the one who brings the 4th through 6th grade kids, ages 9 through 12, the candy, which they sell, Cummings said. We're pretty proud of that because K-Kids is basically a smaller group, but they work their butts off. Their families contribute, their friends contribute, she said. This is a really big thing for us. People have come in to speak about Crossroads so the kids know what its purpose is, Cummings said. We have somebody here who their grandparent was in Crossroads House. It's kind of close to everybody's heart, Cummings said. Jacob Bach is president of the Kiwanis Kids Club this year. Tyler Graff is vice president, and Lydia Gillard is secretary. Other kids would buy them with money they were given. They would put it in an envelope and buy suckers. Then you would give them how many suckers they wanted, Jacob said. The kids who bought them would write their names, grade level, and teacher's name, and how many suckers they wanted on a sheet. Whenever you wanted to get them, you just had to put your money in an envelope and give it to one of the K-Kids members. They would bring it to Ms. Cummings, Tyler said. Ms. Cummings or a K-Kid member would bring the candy to the person. 
The kid said it was amazing to be able to sell 1,700 suckers this year. Jacob Bach said he had a friend whose grandmother had been a Crossroads House resident. Jacob will move up to the junior-senior high school next year, but Tyler and Lydia will be sixth graders at the intermediate school so they can be in the kids' club again. For their help this year, Petri gave the kids certificates. She said she wanted to do something nice for the kids. Cummings said there were 22 kids in the K-Kids group this year. That's a big group. We like to keep it fairly small, 20 or below, she said. The club used to be 5th graders and 6th graders only, but one year, the kids chose to include 4th graders. That's what we did, and the 4th graders have been great, Cummings said. They've even run for office and stuff. The Pembroke Corfu Darien Kiwanis Club sponsored the kids' club, Cummings said. The kids worked with Kiwanis to have a car cruise at Pembroke Town Park. They've had a trunk or treat event in the fall and breakfast with Santa in December. They had their parents bring cars and they dressed up and they handed out candy, she said. Breakfast with Santa, which the kids really like, has been held in the Maximilian Cole Parish Church Hall in East Pembroke. Kiwanis Club members make the breakfast, and the kids' club decorates, serves meals, and clears the tables afterward. This is one of their favorites, the breakfast with Santa. They love that, Cummings said. For another project, intermediate school drew hands representing themselves, which were put up all over the school. We did win an Excellence in Student Service Award this year through BOCI, she said. We all went to the Pembroke Board of Education when they gave me the Certificate of Recognition for that. It was really nice because a lot of them had never been to a board meeting before. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the May 9th through 11th issue of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Chris. Thank you for listening.